Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. I'm Deborah Alfarone. I was a TV journalist for years, and now I have my own company helping people be confident on camera and in life. I'm Dr. Lisa Brooks Grill. I'm a leadership development expert, and I am the author of Don't Abdicate the Throne. I'm Susie Moore, a life coach and author, and I help people become confidently more visible in their life and business. I'm Patricia Stark, president of Patricia Stark Communications. I'm an executive coach, certified body language trainer, and I bring my confidence workshops to corporations, universities, women's leadership events, and teen events. I'm Laura Fredericks. I am the billion-dollar powerhouse ask maker. I am CEO and founder of The Ask. I train people, businesses, and nonprofits how to ask for money and more of it. I've written six books, and my last one is the Ask for Business for Philanthropy for Everyday Living. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Welcome to a special edition of Secrets of Wealthy Women, where we speak to five confidence experts. From success stories to learned lessons, our panel explains how to find your inner strength and ultimately reach your goals. So you're all some of the most confident women that I know. So Susie, for you, it started early in school. So I'm wondering if you could briefly tell us a little bit about that. Yes, certainly. When I was a kid, in the UK, we don't call it welfare. It's called social security. But I was very embarrassed about it when I was a child. And we used to have these very conspicuous free lunch tokens that we had to get at recess. And I was always so embarrassed to go and use my token at lunch. So I'd wait for all of my friends to be finished so I could, you know, secretly use my token. And I just thought it was kind of unfair. It wasn't my fault. I, I knew that things can change if you have, I guess, the confidence to speak up. And I booked a meeting within the UK. We call it the headmaster. Here we call it the principal. And I asked him if there could be a different system. I asked him if we could exchange the tokens, if I could say, sign my name like everybody else at the back of the list. And he was very willing. He was surprised. He didn't know that that was the system. And he made it change. He made it a change within two weeks weeks and there were no more tokens. <laughs> and at that age, I was around the age of 11, 12, I just realized the power of asking, the power of speaking up. And I've kept kind of going ever since then. It's amazing. Deborah, school also had an effect on your confidence. So I was a TV anchor in some big markets here, and you would never know that I was a high school dropout. But I had a very troubled childhood, and my parents were absent. I basically raised myself. And that really led to huge, huge confidence issue. So I always say to people that if I can get to where I am or where I've gotten to, that anyone can do anything. And I really do believe, you know, we need some people who see the good in us, mm -hmm. see the light in us, and shine that back at us. And so along the way, I met a couple of people here and there, just a couple of people, and I don't even know if they realize what they've done for me. But one teacher who was, I put myself through community college, and um she just saw something in me, and she kept in touch with me. And I was the first person who was a mentor to me. So when people think mentoring, oh, yeah, right, that's great. No, it's super-duper important to put people on a path to the, towards their greatness. Patricia, you have won beauty contests. And so it's, 
interesting to hear that you also struggle because when people think that, they mm. probably think, oh, she doesn't have a care in the world. Well, gee, thanks for bringing that up because <laughs> there's also a whole boatload of stereotypes that go along with that. But let me just say, yes, I, I've been in broadcasting for many, many years. I did have a title that I owned for a short time. Uh, but growing up, I had had a medical condition that um, – gave me a very weak bladder, and I was a bedwetter uh, all throughout uh, elementary school and middle school. And going through puberty, which is already hard enough, uh, imagine waking up every day soaking wet and going into school thinking that everybody was going to find out your secret. Uh, so there was a bit of a double whammy time for me. So people don't necessarily believe that I was once a very shy, uh, t intimidating, uh, intimidated person. And it took a long time to go from that to being uh, where I was working in front of the camera. And I never forgot how debilitating it could be to feel that way. So it's why I do what I do. Lisa, some African-American women I've had on my show have said it sometimes dents their confidence when they're the only woman in the room of color. And I'm just wondering, have you had that experience or what would you say to that? What do you think of that? Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely. It can be, but you can also use that same being the only to fuel yourself, too, to fuel yourself into um, better positions, to fuel yourself into overcoming any kind of, you know, potential stereotype that might be there. So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true, but you can't let that limit you. Laura, what would you say to people who feel different or they're different from other people in the room and that might affect their confidence? It, it's difficult. You have to sort of own that feeling first because to jump over it is not going to bring you anywhere. So just kind of uh, sit, sit still with yourself for a little bit and then just, just reach deep, deep inside and think, what one quality do you have that you would love to share with the world? And that becomes your focus rather than the other. And then really just start asking people for help and asking people for guidance and asking people to be loved, those are tremendous asks, very, very difficult, but you really come into your own power when you make those asks. Patricia, you said women sometimes minimize themselves. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that we're really good at um, assuming that everybody else has got their act together and uh, maximizing what we think uh, they're capable of and what they're achieving. And we do the exact opposite many times um, for ourselves. And I think that we're, we're brilliant at it. And at least most women that I uh, coach and train and work with, like they don't really know the inventory of the value of their experiences and what they have to bring to the table many times until I ask them to put it down on paper. And then they see themselves in front of themselves and go, oh, wow, I didn't realize. Deborah, what role do thoughts play in all of this? So the thing about thoughts is they are really powerful. And when you use them poorly, they can end up being your undoing. So I really believe, you know, to talk about what you were just saying, Patricia, you got to write down all these amazing things about yourself and remind yourself, because sometimes this thing wants to go, and I'm, this thing, I'm pointing at my brain, this thing wants to go south. This thing wants to go in a place. We just kind of go there. We think small. We go back to that old feeling about ourselves as a child, and we forget about the awesome things that we do. I did that great story the other day. I started my own business. I have a wonderful husband or I have a wonderful wife. We need to take those thoughts and put those center stage. And sometimes you just have to write things down, post it up somewhere, put it on your mirror. You have to remind yourself. I actually have on my phone at 3 p.m. every day a reminder for myself. And I've been doing this for years. Like this is like a, this is like a 10-year 
um, thing that I've been doing. And so every day at 3 o'clock, it reminds me something amazing about myself because guess what? This brain resets every day. It's not like you get confidence and you got it and now you're done. It's a practice. I love it. Susie, but what if I feel like I'm just not worthy? Mm, Worthiness. I think this is the core of all of our issues in many ways. We can have a problem, and if you break down the problem, break it down some more, and then, you know, a little more, it will come down to this feeling of not being worthy. And this is why people, especially women, I, I see in my experience in my work, they're not asking. They don't always feel worthy of receiving. And... Uh, you know, as we're just discussing here, it's so easy to think that other people are worthy and they're deserving and we're so happy to help. And when someone asks us, we're delighted to give. But when it comes to, you know, us receiving, us being the, the person who says, yes, you know, I'm, I'm going to welcome this. I, I deserve this. It's really, really frightening. So when it comes to understanding your worthiness, my policy is if you're alive today, everything, all the, the confluence of things that had to happen for you to be alive in this moment, it's so magnificent. You're a human miracle and your worthiness is not a question. It just is. That is truthful. It is undeletable. And that is a fact. And if you, if you can absorb that even just partially, I think your whole life can transform. I, um, I have a great friend who always says, some will, some won't, so what? You mm-hmm. cannot control what other people are going to say, do, or think. We're only in control of ourselves and in how we react to what someone says. What happens oftentimes when we start to act more confident or we step out or we set goals from ourselves for ourselves, we tend to separate ourselves from the pack. And unfortunately, people get comfortable with you at a certain level. And when you start to make progress, you're separating yourself. So some folks are not going to like it because you're shining a spotlight on what they're not doing. So again, you know what? Some will, some won't, so what? But I also want to make a comment um, to what Deborah said about thoughts. I mean, thoughts are so powerful because our thoughts then become our words. Our words then become our actions, then becomes our habits, becomes our destiny. So what happens with your thoughts, they control everything. And I thought what you said was just so powerful too. Laura, what if I'm afraid to ask for something because I'm afraid the answer might be no? The number one reason why people don't ask is they think they'll be unprepared for the response they're about to hear. What do you mean? They feel that they're going to be un... They will not be prepared. Nobody wants the deer in the headlights look. No one wants to be judged in that moment. I didn't know it. So what we do is we let luck, chance, and time fill in for something that we really wanted, we really deserved, and that just crushes and kills your confidence. And it not only affects that moment and that ass, it affects your health. So, you know, I did this book, Money Wellness is Money Making You Sick, How Money Affects Your Mind, Body, Soul, and really, it was an eye-opener for me. So one hesitation to ask can really just really, really uh, transform your central nervous system. So just remember that, you know, the win is that you made the ask, not the response. So ask early and often and feel empowered. How how do you feel empowered, though, if you're not sure you're going to be ready for that response? Write down, and I like what I heard by all the women today, write, the power of, you'll remember it 75% more, write down 15 things you think I'm going to say to your ask, step one. Step two is, what will you respond to that? And, and it is an empowering moment. You sit there and you are good to go. You have got this one. Even if you hear something you didn't write down, that becomes number 16. And you add and you add and you add. And that's how you start to be, begin that core of confidence that you can ask for anything. If you own your ask, you'll get it. And it's you know, something I just want to add to that, too, because it's so powerful. Um, women Don't Ask. And there's a, a book that's been out probably for about the last 15 years mm-hmm. called Women Don't Ask by Linda Babcock. And it, the statistics are 
are powerful in there because they talk about young women coming out of college and they don't ask for a higher starting salary, whereas 55% of young men will. And while the, the story behind that is so powerful because, as we all know, that money compounds over the course of years. So by a young woman not asking for a 5000 or $10,000 more than what she's been offered, while that in and of itself isn't as staggering, but start looking at that over a 40-year career, and you'll see how the money adds up. And a couple of different studies have put that at um, women are losing one $1.5 million by not asking for more money. So that in and of itself is staggering. And not also, not just asking for money, but like asking for other things, asking for help. And I remember one time I came in from grocery shopping and my husband was standing in the kitchen and he couldn't wait for, for me to get home. And he's like, hey, Lise, can you help me do something? Now, my hands are full of groceries and he's looking at me instead of offering, he's asking me a question. <laughs> and But that didn't bother him. And it made me angry, but I took a step back and said, here's the difference between men and women. Men have no no problem asking, regardless of what they think the outcome is going to be. And I learned from that. So I think it's so powerful to teach our young women, our young daughters to ask. Patricia, you said we need to trust ourselves to feel more confident. What do you mean by that? You need to know that uh, what you're going to ask for is, is going to come through, like you said, that you're going to be prepared for it. That was a real light bulb moment for me, hearing you say that it's not about anything other than being not sure that we're going to be prepared later on. And when I talk about people trusting themselves, whether, again, it's for public speaking or appearing in front of the media, it's always about you know, what is it that you're saying to yourself about the story that you're telling yourself about what's about to happen or what you want to have happen and to do whatever it takes to be prepared so that you can trust what your choices are, what you're asking for, what you want out of a situation. And I think that so many times people don't get to know themselves and what they want inside and out so that they have no problem trusting themselves in any situation. But what if my stories, I think my stories are true? Well, but you, you have to say to yourself, are they true? And really put a mirror to yourself and say, are these stories empowering me? Is it something that I've been repeating that someone else said to me about myself? Like, where did these stories originate? Are they, is there real proof that these stories are true? Or are you regurgitating something that society, that a teacher, that a mother, that a friend, that someone else has imposed on you and you have accepted that as your truth when it may not even be? Deborah, you have thoughts on that? Yeah, because if you think they're true, guess what? They are. And they'll stop you. Mm -hmm. If you want to get somewhere and you want to have a goal, you got to change those stories because those stories will keep you stuck. They will keep you in shackles for your whole life. I had a story that I was a high school dropout. If I kept that story, I'd never be a TV anchor. I help all my clients who are millennials because at that point, you're in your 20s, and that's when you're just kind of owning those stories. I'm not good enough, but she's got something else. Oh, let me look at that girl. She's skinnier than me. She's prettier than me. So we're all coming up with these great stories about how other people are so wonderful and we're not. Change your story and you change your life. Coming up, key advice on how to stick to your ambitions and why asking for what you deserve is still winning. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to a special edition of Secrets of Wealthy Women. Now, more from our panel on how to achieve confidence. 
Laura, you said something before I want to have you elaborate on. You said the win is in making the ask, not the result. Really? Absolutely. When you look at it, you're so wedded to getting it, whatever the it is, you don't hear the conversation, you're not present, you don't bother to be prepared. All you know is, I'm going to blurt this out, I'm going to get it and run home. But I have witnessed firsthand, and this is just my, that men put out a false confidence about asking, and women won't put enough of themselves out. It's the body language. They start retreating, especially when it comes for money. Or if, it, if it's for their kids, their spouses, their causes, oh, they're right. But if it's for them, it's like a shrunken flower. So all I can say is focus on this. The win is that you made the ask and watch the result. It will come to you. People assume that confidence comes from being good at things, from winning, from ticking things off. But really, it's just from being uncomfortable with whatever the outcome is and understanding that the worst thing that can happen is a bad feeling, like feeling embarrassed, feeling shut down, feeling rejected, whatever the negative emotion is. If you can tolerate it, if you're willing to tolerate the discomfort of a bad emotion, the world belongs to you, <laughs> truly. Wow. And that's why I love, Laura, what you're saying. It's not getting the money necessarily, but it's, I spoke up. and I It's always, showing up and speaking up. Showing up and speaking up. And no matter what, when I'm working with people and they did something brave, fire someone, have a tough conversation, any form of conflict resolution, and they don't get the outcome that they want, but they still did it. It's still a huge high five. You did it doesn't matter. It, the outcome is, I mean, of course, wonderful if you get it, but you won't always. And if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. So why not just go and be a little, a little uncomfortable with the uneasiness of it? And I wanted to add one thing also to something that Laura said, that I once read a statistic that said that men have to be about 50% sure of something mm -hmm. to follow through and pursue it or ask, where women <laughs> feel like the need to be 90%. Yeah. And it also goes along with a saying that I've heard where you don't have to be perfect. Now that you can be, now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. Mm. So why isn't it enough to just be good enough? You yes. don't have to try it to be perfect and have all your ducks in a row and be at that 90% to try to pursue something. I think it's our socialization process as well. And you know, when we talk to, to little girls, and, and what I love is seeing little girls from the age of about six years old to maybe 11, and you put them out there in a park, and, and they're just as tough as any boy, and they'll tell you that they want to be uh, you know, a scientist, they want to be an astronaut, they want to <laughs> be the president of the world. And, you know, and so there's nothing that they don't think they can do. But starting at age maybe 12 or so, then they start to shrink and they start to become more aware of what society says that they're supposed to do or not to do. So I wish we could just bottle up those little girls between that age of 6 to 11 and run with that because they're so powerful at that age because they don't know what they can't do. And the same for us as women. We should know we shouldn't know what we can't do because there isn't anything that we can't. And I love the fact of asking because asking is so powerful. And and I'll talk to a lot of folks in my own coaching practice too about asking and they're like, "Well, no, I can't ask." We'll start with something small. Ask somebody for a cup of coffee. Ask someone for a ride somewhere. And, you know, and, and you would think I was telling them to ask for, you know, a million dollars. But it's it's just getting yourself comfortable with the small ask till it becomes part of your DNA. And then start asking for the big things because then it won't feel so uncomfortable. What do you say to the people, though, who have said, you know, there's real research that shows when women ask and they are assertive in the workplace, they pay a penalty. They're perceived negatively. It's tone. And I've read the same research and on and on. And you can take the same words and put seven different tones, and then we get judged. 
bossy, brassy, I'll use not, not use the other B word, or it'll be assertive and confident and on its tone. And that's why mm-hmm. anyone that we work with, we just have to be con- as conscientious as their tone and body language as we are their words. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what separates the difference between someone being offensive and someone being assertive and someone being like progressive and someone being pushy. And you just see the, the play of the words with its tone. And it matters so much because through tone comes sincerity and through sincerity comes deserving and comes deserving comes power. So tone has a lot of trails that will really, really help you. You know, I think that's something that we learned when we were young or, or you know, our parents told us it's not what you say, but how you say it. Mm-hmm. It still it's stands tone. true. Right. And it's I know that human beings are wired for mimicry. Right. So if you approach something positively like, oh, this is exciting. I'm excited to take on all these new projects. Let's have a conversation about my compensation, too. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. We're really wired to mimic each other, and so just knowing that also can um, can take some pressure off. You know, sometimes you just can't please people, though. I will say that, and tone is very important, and it is always important to be positive and and come at a situation with a positivity and a solution. And I've been the same person at the same newsroom, and with a different manager, had a different result. And sometimes people Mm. just aren't going to like you. Mm -hmm. And I'm still that same per that that positive, hardworking person, but that guy liked me, that boss, and that boss didn't. And it's on them. And sure, it does affect you, so I get the question that you had initially said, Veronica. Like, sometimes, you know what, it ain't gonna work out well for you. And sometimes it doesn't. And I don't wanna work with those people. And it's tough, and you got, sometimes you'll have to walk away. Sometimes confidence is knowing your worth and knowing that you have to walk away, which is a situation I was in. And I'm happy that I did it, but again, Sometimes they're just not going to like you, and that's not my problem. And that's still a good outcome in the longer term. That's probably always still a good outcome, too. Exactly. Right. So, And I think what you said about knowing your worth, that is so powerful because that, that's the thing I think that stops a lot of us oftentimes is not understanding what our value is and what our worth is. So I'm glad you brought that up. Susie, what if asking for something just seems selfish, though? Mm, I find that asking and being confident is this generous thing to do because no one ever becomes confident and sure of themselves and a good asker by paying attention and being around people who are just too afraid to do anything, who are too insecure to ask for a favor. So I feel as if you can be the example in some cases of asking and also being the person who gives, then it starts to just feel more fair and reasonable. But I would just say if this is my mind. Honesty wins the day. If you're Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, say it. Say, I I feel uncomfortable asking you're my neighbor, but I'm really in this situation. I have no way to get to the airport. Is there any way we can talk about, and asking is a conversation, it's not a confrontation. Mm -hmm. Is there any way we can talk about perhaps getting me transportation, then in turn I can do something for you? But always lead with honesty. Mm -hmm. Say, I'm comfortable doing this, or I've never done this before, or I feel awkward. That's why people don't ask relatives and friends for money or support or anything else. They feel awkward. So get it out. I, this is awkward for me, but it's important. And all that's simple words, transformational results. But this is important, and people will come close and help you out. But if you're uncomfortable, say it right from the get-go, because you know what? You're showing it anyway. You know, and I think as women, we tend to self-edit. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're thinking in our, in our, in our heads of what we should ask for. But then we have that voice saying, well, you can't ask for that because they'll say no to you. Or, or we have this whole internal dialogue in our head. And then by the time we, we get up that courage to ask, the moment is over. And I especially <laughs> think of myself sometimes, you know, in my younger career in meetings where I'd, I'd know the answer or I'd want to have like this brilliant statement. But in the back of my head, I'm having this dialogue. Well, no, they're going to think that's stupid. or No, they're not going to say anything or they're not going to pick up on my comment. 
moment. And by the time I, I get enough courage to say it, well, the moment has passed and we've moved on. And you're just kind of like, why didn't I say something? Yeah. So let's try to limit that self-editing that goes on in our head. That's so why if you write it down, then it stops the very crowded house in your head and that only dialogue you're only having mm-hmm. with you. So if you write it down, then it's somewhere. It's yeah. somewhere. I have so many conversations in my head a day. <laughs> it's really lovely to actually have one out here all day. <laughs> I think I think it's also something that my my parents taught me growing up. They're like, don't over show up at someone's home with your hands down by your sides. And I, I that's an analogy that I'm using because it's I'm not going to ask for something if I don't know that I have something of value to give you in return or somehow a way to be of service, some way to contribute or some way to pay you back and do the same good deed for you. I think it's much easier to ask and to be present and to try to reach your goals when you know what your intentions are. And if your intentions are good and they're there to not just benefit yourself, but to also benefit the person with you or the community around you, you're, you're a lot more confident in your ask. Mm-hmm. Deborah, you said we need to feel, to feel more confident. We need to connect to the bigger picture. What do you mean by that? Great, great. I love this. So, Here's the thing is we all walk around feeling small, and even I'm, I'm a new entrepreneur. There are times when I'm sitting at home with my dog, okay, and I'm like, Murray. you know, type Murray, and I'm typing away on the computer, right? So I feel small sometimes. And if I get connected to the fact that as a coach, I'm helping reporters across the country, mm. people who have a message, to get that message out there, and that message will change other people's lives, like I'm an EMS worker, Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a person who's out there saving lives and changing lives. And I'll tell you a little bit about a time I used to do this Facebook Live when I was anchoring. And I didn't really, I, I did it, you know, behind the scenes. And I would talk to the viewers. And then once I said, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. Someone had said a comment to me that I didn't really like as viewers might. Uh, as, you know, people always have something <laughs> okay. to say, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I decided not to do it. Two days later, I get a message. And this one viewer said, you know, I'm a veteran, I have PTSD, I've had several suicide attempts, and the time that you do your Facebook Live behind the scenes of your half-hour show is the only time that I'm connected to a community, wow. and mm. it makes me feel like I have friends. Mm. And it just hit me in the heart, and I realized that I was being small. I was allowing some comment that someone said, maybe they made fun of my hair, I have no idea. I don't even remember it, so that's how hilarious it is, right? <laughs> I was letting that keep me small, and I wasn't connected to The bigger picture. And the bigger picture is I have a message. I'm out there delivering news. I'm out there coaching people. I'm saving their lives. And I know it sounds like, okay, well, how am I saving lives? But I bet you everyone at this table, if we connect it back, there's someone's life who you saved. And we don't know who's going to be listening to this. And we're going to be saving their lives. Because people feel alone. This is a tough world out there. And so... We all have to get connected to the bigger picture of how what you do, no matter what it is, whether you're a host, you have your own show, or you're, or, or you're working in an office, you are saving a life somehow. And I would invite you to get connected to that because you're important and you matter. What's one step we can take today to feel more confident? I think uh, something that I love to do every day is what the ancient Greeks used to do, which is to practice death in the mornings, meaning to (laughs) contemplate your own death. I love cemeteries. I often have a picture of a cemetery as a screensaver on my phone. Uh, Fostering perspective, we're all going to be dead one day. Regret is very, you know, sad. So just to foster perspective on your limited time here on Earth. What I would think of is do something every day that scares you. And I don't mean like, you know, jump off the George Washington Bridge or go hang gliding, but just do something 
every day that just takes a bit of confidence, and that can be taking a different route home. That can be you know going to you know to see someone you haven't seen in a long time. That can be calling up somebody that you've had an argument with and you've let it fester on for way too long. But think about something. Do something every day that scares you. And if that's too much, then do something every week that scares you. This is a new one for me that I struggle with, but self-care. I think when you treat yourself like you're someone awesome and that you're deserving of self-care, that's an act. That's an action that puts uh, an energy into the world. And you can really uh, change kind of just the trajectory of your day. But I think self-care, gosh, I never do that. And I am, yesterday, I took a long walk. Mm-hmm. And I had sushi by myself. And I know, um, like, it was cheap sushi. But still, it was good. And it was a great act. And I and you don't normally do that. So I'd love to say self-care. I would say operate throughout your, your day so that when you lay down at night, that you can say to yourself, of all the decisions and choices I made today, I can say at the end of the day, I like me. And I can look into the mirror and say, I am enough. Surprise, surprise. Ask early and often. Um, <laughs> But preparation wins the day. So each day, look in the mirror or record your voice on your smartphone. Just one ask you need to do. Just practice by yourself. How do you look? And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sharing all because I did it all the wrong way. I mean, I had this wicked head tilt. Who ever knew? Like I was looking like this. See if you like what you have to say on your phone. I had no idea that I was saying absolutely 27 times in one conversation. So take that moment for yourself. It's, it's you know, it's your own private studio. So do it, and then then you'll get the confidence to do it outside. So ask early and often. Time now for your secrets. I'm Susie Moore, and my money secret is that I know for sure that you are allowed to make a great income doing work that's extremely easy for you. I'm Lisa brooks Grio, and I have more than one stream of income. I have multiple streams of income. I'm Deborah Alfarone, and I rent all my clothes. I never buy any clothes, and I do it all from Rent the Runway, and it gives me a lot of options. I'm Patricia Stark, and I say that you should always think from a place of abundance and throw out the thoughts of lack and limitation as fast as possible. I'm Laura Fredericks, and Laura and debt do not get along, so I proudly pay off all my credit card bills. I have never carried a balance for 25 years. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience, how 20 ambitious women use obstacles to fuel their success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.